Welcome. My name is Steve White, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us. Special welcome to our guests, and uh, we hope you come back uh, to be with us. Uh, before we go further, let's just pause and be quiet before the Lord. <laughs> It is good to be still and to recognize that you are God and our Father, and we thank you in Christ. Amen. We're in Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, and you'll want to find that so you can follow along. Let me first say uh, thank you for uh, being involved in the affirming of our leaders last week. They were overwhelmingly affirmed, and uh, please continue to pray. A number, I mean, the, the, the percentage of people involved in that uh, hugely increased this year, so we thank you for that affirmation, and I pray for our leaders who volunteer so much of their time, pray for our staff, just pray for the health of our church on a continual basis. We want that all the time for God's glory and his honor. His name is worthy. You know, a person's, a person's appetite for money is difficult to identify and it's deadly if it's, if it's ignored. If it's an unhealthy appetite, it is deadly if it's ignored. In 2002, a strange thing happened in one of the hospitals of France. The New England Journal of Medicine recorded that a 62-year-old man walked into Cholet General Hospital in France complaining of stomach pains. They did an x-ray on him, and they noted that his stomach was filled with metal. And so when they opened him to do surgery, French doctors found coinage, Frank's and euros worth over $650. They did the surgery, removed the coins, and he died 12 days later. Sometimes a person's appetite for money is difficult to identify, and it's deadly if it's ignored. That's why this subject of money, we have to deal with it. It may be uncomfortable to do so. We don't like necessarily. We say very private about our financial issues. But God directly speaks to our hearts and our lives because he knows what, what control that money can have over us. Many people throughout the history of the world have lost their, their souls, their lives, because of an undue attention given to money in an unhealthy way. In 1929, when the stock market crashed, the suicide rate jumped 23% that year. Just 11 years ago, in the financial crisis in the United States in 08, there were 5,000 suicides in our country that year, directly as a response to the, to the money crisis, the banking crisis, the housing crisis that was going on. Uh, through the pages of Scripture, it's true. Achan was the man who was in Jericho, and all the, all the possessions in Jericho, and the walls came down, belonged to God, be, were to be devoted to the Lord. But he couldn't stand seeing what he saw and not take some. So he took some of, of the devoted things, hid them in his tent, and, and later he was stoned when it was discovered that he was the one who caused 36 deaths to happen because of his disobedience to the Lord. Uh, later, we find that a man walks away from Jesus Christ's salvation because he's a rich man and doesn't want to do what Jesus commanded him to do, sell his goods and give to the poor. He was wealthy, couldn't walk away from his wealth. Another rich man sat at his table, and there was a beggar at his feet named Lazarus 
who just, who just had crumbs from the table and the, the rich man wasn't willing to give him even that. And his life was required of him, of that rich man's life because he, he did, had no compassion on Lazarus at his feet. It happened to another rich farmer who had bumper crops and kept building bigger barns for himself and, and was more generous toward himself than other people. And God called him a fool and his soul was required of him. It happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They dropped dead in front of church because they were pretending to be more generous than they actually were. An unhealthy appetite for money is difficult to identify and it's deadly when ignored. That's why we have to keep examining ourselves. It's not easy to do so necessarily, but an, an unhealthy approach to money or handling of money is sure to stunt our growth and our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Now, now who's, so who's interested in your money? Well, God is. Not because he needs it, not because he wants it necessarily. In fact, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that's in it. In other words, I'll eat hungry. I'll take care of myself. Thank you very much. It all belongs to me. Yet, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables have to do with the securing, the saving, the spending, the sharing of our money, our possessions. Some 500 verses of the Bible teach us about prayer. Some 500 verses teach us about faith. Over 2,000 verses teach us about the handling of money and our possessions. So God knows how controlling and preoccupying money can be. He's interested in your money. But you know who else is interested in your money? Satan is. He knows if we can buy into his lies that we will keep from enjoying freedom in the Lord as God wants us to enjoy true freedom. And he can, he can uh, somehow blind us to ourselves and therefore, so that we're not generous people and the way we're supposed to be generous, and thus the windows of heaven will be closed. And God doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to enjoy everything. You know who else is interested in your money? You are. Or you should be. Y'all know what's happening to it and where it's going, what it's doing. We need healthy interest in our money. God expects us to be good stewards. And I know so many of you have grown in this grace of giving because you've told me about it, how freeing it's become to you. Some of you have gone to financial peace and you have found a new kind of understanding about money and, and how to use it well. And, and I don't know why. We are, we are really slow at sharing testimonies because we're afraid we're showing off and we are not. We're giving God the glory when we can tell people about the freedom we have found, the financial freedom and the spiritual freedom when we are not encumbered by the power, the, the control of money. Um, and so that's why we, we need to deal with this subject. Every year we deal with it because, it because it's so important to our growth. So let's stop there first. Let's read the text. It's in Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1 first of all. Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. 
He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Look at verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And by the way, the blessing of God there isn't necessarily money. He doesn't promise that. He just promises the blessings of being generous toward him will be great. Now, we're all ages. Some of us here today are retired. Some are middle-aged. Some of you are in the most expensive times of your life, putting kids through college uh, and paying, paying their way. Some of you are children. Some of you are teenagers. And I want you to know this principle is for all people. It's just not for big people. It's for everybody. You learn these principles when you're a child. You practice. If you have a measly part-time job, you're working 10 hours a week, and you've got, you've got uh, 50 bucks to show for it or whatever, then $5 of that belongs to the Lord. We'll talk about that more later, of course. But this is a principle for all people, for all people. So young people, college kids, uh, college students, and children, you know, practice it now and continue to practice through life. Now, now. So, since it's so important, what do we do? So I want three things I want to address today based on this text. Money's power, money's destination, and money's submission. Those three things, that's where we're headed, okay? Probably talk more about his power. Money's power. Here we go. God says, will a mere mortal, will man rob God, yet you rob me? The word rob here in the Hebrew language is not the typical word for rob. It's a word that means to pillage and to plunder and to, um, to offend greatly. It's a, it, in fact, it's a violent word. So God uses a word rarely used to tell what this is like when we don't learn to have the kind of generous heart that he's calling to. It's an, it's an oppressive kind of robbing. That's what it is. He says, that's what you're doing me, with, to me. Now, last week, we, I said, these people are so clueless, and they are here again. What are you talking about? Our wealth... Our opportunities, our abilities, all come from God. The thing that confounds me is why do I get to be born where I was, where I am? Why did I get parents that were concerned that I get a degree? You know, why, why do I get to be in this land of opportunity? Why was I not born in Tibet? Why, why am I not in some remote village in India or, or an African nation? No, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand all that. All I know is this is where I am now. These are my abilities. This is my opportunity. And I'm responsible for it just like everybody is in the world who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything is from him. It's all a gift. And, and, but being a gift, it doesn't mean that I'm an owner. And that's where we get confused in the American system. We think if we've, if we've worked for something, then we deserve it. And that's a lie of the evil one. Some of you are financial planners. That's your job. People, people give you their money to invest for them, and they pay you, and you gain a salary. And, and rightly so, for handling their money. 
But you always keep in mind, it's not really your money you're handling, right? You are just putting it in places that you think will benefit them. There are, there, there are desires they have. You may ask, you want it high risk, medium risk, low risk? Where do you want it? And they give you directives, and you're to follow that. Uh, there, there are certain laws of the land by which you're governed. And if you break those laws, you are a criminal. And there, there, there's fraud that, that can be committed. There's embezzlement that can be committed. It's the same picture when God blesses us with what, what he has given us. He immensely blesses us. And out of that, and you may be on a fixed income. You may be in a place in your life where you're just getting by. Uh, you may have, you may be in a place where if you give 10% of your income, you wouldn't necessarily feel it. You wouldn't even have to change a lifestyle by giving 10%. Everybody's all over the page. What God is looking for is a generous heart and rec- the recognition that none of this ultimately is mine. None of it. It's all on loan from God. So that being said, this is another sermon, but he doesn't care just about the 10%. He cares about the other 90% too. Well, what, what are we doing with everything that he has given to us? Now, verse 8 is suggesting that we're all blind to the power of money. That the power of the money has over us. Uh, I mean, do you actually want to raise your hand today if I ask, are you a greedy person? Yeah, boy, that's me. Nobody's going to do that, right? Why? Because most of us are pretty blind to it, even if we are. We don't know it. Jesus said this in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He didn't say watch out against all kind of li- about all kinds of lying. Because if you're lying, you know it. He doesn't say, be on your guard, watch out against all kinds of stealing. You know if you're stealing. He doesn't say, guard your heart against all kinds of adultery. You don't suddenly look and say, who are you? I don't know you. You That doesn't happen, right? You know if you're committing the sin of adultery. When it comes to greed, it is so hard to see in ourselves. We can be so blinded to greed. So, when I look at my own life, I don't very often say to myself, now how much could you be giving away? Okay, I hope, I hope I'm generous to some degree based on God's standard, but I don't ask myself, or much, mm, what should I be giving up to be more generous? I don't naturally do that. But I'm in the word, some in the word, I'm forced to ask that question. One of God's ways to help us examine our tendency toward greed is by giving us the tithe or 10% of our income. Now, now you're, it's right that nowhere in the New Testament is tithing explicitly taught. But it is implied by Jesus in Luke 11 when he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, keep on tithing, he said. But you people think that just because you're tithing, you don't have to worry about anything. Like you've paid your way. Forget that, he's saying. Keep on tithing. But as you do, I want to make sure you're investing yourself in all the matters that I say are important in the kingdom of God living. And they were, of course, unwilling to do that. The tithe is to represent a heart that is invested, a life that is invested in the kingdom. Otherwise, it's only going to be a legalistic thing. 
Otherwise, there's going to be a rule that you follow so God, God won't be mad, mad at you. If that's how you view your giving, then he knows that. He sees right through us. So it's, that's why the New, the New Testament doesn't have to teach about tithing because we live this side of the cross. If the Jews, by law, were to give that much, and they didn't even understand the cross, how much more we ought to be giving and how easy it ought to be for us to give 10%. I mean, it's not even a sacrifice. It's not even an offering until we're giving more than 10%. Because that's, just the, that's what God expects, just the standard. Anybody feel uncomfortable? That's okay. You're allowed to be feeling uncomfortable. I just want you to know that you listened to Luke or I for 30 minutes. It takes us 15 to 20 hours to write a sermon. Don't anybody say, and this is all you got to show for it. Don't dare say that. <laughs> 15 to 20 hours to write a sermon. So we live for this. For like I've lived with these two sermons for 40 hours. You have to endure an hour. So get over it. Okay, that's all I want to say. That's what the scripture does. When you meditate on the word of God, it just it speaks to your life. And this is a hard subject for us. We tend to succumb to the power of money. And you don't want to hear God say over your life any day, you fool. Your soul is required of you. You want to, you want to be assessed by God as being somebody who was, isn't going to take God at his word. I know you don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be that person. And, but like I said last week, we can all do better. So what's that look like for you? So let's consider money's destination. Verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, the word, the word house, my house, that, that he means his temple. The temple is mentioned in verse 1. A house is temple. Now, this building is not a temple. You know, I, I really don't like to use the term, we're in God's house now. Because it sort of keeps secular, secular and sacred uh, uh, separated from each other. When we leave this building, we are still the temple of God because people are the temple of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So not only does the Holy Spirit live in us individually, but collectively he moves among us. That's why he wants us to be together as the church. And, and he's, he, he's, this 10%, he says, is to be put into the storehouse, which means the treasury. Every religion in the world has some kind of temple. And in, in, that, in that framework, whatever deity they worship, they give to that deity at that particular place. It may be an insignificant. I saw a temple that was this big in Ghana, outside a little village, and it had the face of a god carved in this huge rock. It had been there for generations, I was told, and there were all kinds of offerings. I mean, I'm, I mean, like a can of Coke and beads, all kinds of things where people came to worship. That was their temple. That was their offering. Every religion in the world has its kind of temple, and it has, it has a, a storehouse in that temple. Now, the emphasis God is saying, look, he says, I, I want you to bring my, my tithe to my temple and put it in my, my storehouse. The world is filled with all kinds of potential temples. If it's hard for you to tithe, at least tithe to the Lord, whatever your income is, fixed income, millionaire, whatever it is, 
you have to investigate what your temple is. In other words, if you can shell out a couple hundred bucks to go to a Colts game or a Pacers game and buy a meal, whatever, but you can't, don't have enough to give to the Lord's work, then your real temple is Lucas Oil. If, if you love expensive meals, you like just to go out to eat, you, you, love rest, you don't want to cook, you like to go out to eat, and you look at that, and, and you, you spend all this money in restaurants, but you can't give to the Lord generously, then restaurants is your real temple. If, if you have a hobby, you know, if you have, it's wardrobe, it's how you appear, or it's the car you drive, you want a new car every year because you just like cars, all right? And so that, but you, but you can't be generous toward the Lord and his work, then your car is your, is your true Savior and Lord. It's your functional Savior and Lord. Now, don't get smug because some of you don't appear to me necessarily materialistic at all. You, you say, man, I'm driving the same car I was 15 years ago. You know, I, I, live, I live in this, you know, 1,200 square foot house, you know. You know, I don't want anything bigger than this. And, you know, I, I've got these pants on. I wore 10 years ago, fat chance on that. But, you know, I've got the same pants on, whatever that is, you know. And then you can be smug saying, no, I'm, I'm careful with my money. I'm frugal. But you've got a fat investment account and fat savings accounts. So that no matter what happens, you've got a money answer for things. You see, that, that kind of person, is, is the true temple is whatever they've saved and racked up. You see? Now, please understand me. I'm not suggesting we don't save well and we don't prepare for the future and we're not wise investors with what God gives us. That's part of the responsibility. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we would all do well to study our credit card account bill when it comes in and our checking account categories everything and find out where our money is going and what appears to be pretty temple like because whatever is our temple that's where freely the money goes without us really questioning it much it's a hard thing to do it's a hard practice because we don't want to face that but we must if we want to grow in the Lord as he wants us to grow and invest in the things that matter most this church exists to get people to the kingdom of God so they have eternity with him. That's why we exist. And that's why we're here and we're in countries of the world to make a difference. And so let's do well for him. It's about that. It's, it's, let's not be self-reliant. Let's not nickel and dime God. Let's not give him out of the leftovers. Let's give him what's right, what he asks for, what he, what he even commands. If he commanded that of the Jews, how much more we should be giving this side of the cross. I don't think anybody worships money. But our money does reveal what we do worship. And that's why it would be a good practice for us. Third, money's submission. What do we do? How, well, how do we live so that money doesn't control us? Well, obviously, we got we to gotta look at our temples. Verse 1 again says, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now, all the biographers of Jesus identify the messenger here as being John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes to announce the way of the Lord. And Jesus appeared. And on that final week of his life, he rode into the, into the holy city of Jerusalem. 
And they hailed him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They waved palm branches. He walked into the temple and he, walked, he, he looked around on that Sunday. He went back out to Bethany. He comes back and then the, that, that, on that Monday he comes in and he cleanses the temple. He throws over the, the, the tables and he drives everybody out. That's the second time he did that. They should have learned the lesson the first time at the beginning of his ministry. He did the very same thing. He walked in. And they were, they, 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 he says, how dare you? He says, you, you turned my father's house into a den of thieves and robbers and threw them out of there. And then he said something so intriguing. He said, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise up. They thought he meant this temple of Herod that had been, Herod the Great, that had been uh, 46 years in being built. He was talking about his body. That you're going to destroy this body, but on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. That's what he was announcing. And Jesus Christ, friends, came to your life and my life to tear down every single temple to which we tend to give our funds to that we can feel better about ourselves. And when he becomes Lord of your life, you know what happens? It becomes the thing you want to do. It becomes the thing you want him to take care of. The more, the more you examine what this person did for your life in rescuing us from sin and death, the more we are happy to let him raise our temples so that there is only one who is the Lord of our lives, Jesus Christ. He came saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why? Here's what's ironic about that statement. Where your treasure is. We've heard that many times, right? Where your treasure is. Well, where was Jesus' treasure? His treasure was you and me. He saw us in our lost condition. He saw us in a hopeless eternity because of our sin and our shame. All our rebellion against God. He sees all the dirt we've done. All the dirt we've said all the dirt we thought, all the debt, debt all, all, the, all the, the, the darkness that, if we're not careful, we still toy with, that, 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 that maybe I can get close to without really sinning against God, all those even potential things that we dream up in our heads, all of that. He saw us as his treasure. And that's where his heart went, to the cross, dying for us. See, a person dies for wherever their treasure is. How many people have lost their health over their careers? They've died for success. How many people just have even lost their families because their treasure went somewhere else? A person dies for whatever, wherever their treasure is. Jesus is the only true treasure that died that we might be purchased that we might be gained. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he's rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. No pressure on our will. He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't somehow want, to, want us to feel in terrible guilt. That's not what Jesus is about. 
He just wants us to give as we've prospered. Out of gratitude to him. Just, just out of gratitude. To show how much we love him. And that he is our true savior and lord. And nothing else. And the text is about more than money though. It's, it's about generosity. You know what he wants is you. The, 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 the tithe that we give. The offerings and sacrifices beyond that. The, 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 the service we render. The time we give. All of that is a byproduct. Of being near the heart of God. It's all a byproduct. That's all. So notice verses 2 and 3. Of, of chapter 3 of Malachi. For who can do, endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. Or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. And refine them like gold and silver. When the Lord will have men who will bring offerings. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in the days gone by. As in former years. Not coming to bring judgment and fire. To be sure. To, to be sure pe- I'm sorry. As in days gone by. As in the former years. Sorry. What's he saying? Jesus. He didn't come to bring judgment and fire. That's not why he came. He came to rescue us from sin and shame and rebellion. He came to pay a price for us. That's why he came to the world. He came to lift us up and to raise us up to a new life. Where Jesus' heart is, that's where his treasure is. Where his treasure is, that's where his heart is also. He's coming. He's coming to us. Now, why did he come? He came to refine us and purify us. Notice the text says, when he comes, he's going to purify and refine the priests, the Levites. The New Testament teaches us that we are priests. One of the great teachings of the New Testament, we're a priesthood of believers who come together. And when he comes into our life, he steps in to refine us and to purify us and to make us better. Because we're his treasure. And he delivers his heart to us by the cross of the cross on which he died. That's what the gospel does, brothers and sisters. That's what it does. And that's why we keep meeting Jesus over and over and over again. And every time we do and allow him to come in, we become better and more changed all the time. That's what happened. That's what happened to Matthew. The gospel met Matthew, and he left a lucrative career as a tax collector to be a follower of Jesus. He gave it all up. Money wasn't important anymore. The gospel met Zacchaeus. And as a result, Zacchaeus gave back four times what he extorted from people and gave the half of what he had left over to the poor. Jesus came to Mary's life and Mary took that bottle of expensive perfume and poured it out on Jesus' feet and total abandoned worship. That's what the gospel does. And that's what happened to Macedonian believers that Paul writes about in his letter to the Corinthians. The Bible says that out of their extreme poverty, this generosity welled up from within them and they became a model to all the haves of the first century, the have-nots showing the haves how to do generosity. And brothers and sisters, that's what the gospel does to all of us when we really meet Jesus. And during this process, you know, that's why I've had a card in your bulletin every week, your program, just to think. It's, 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 it's for you. We don't have to have no names. It's nice if you tear off, have it. Let's, let's show where you are. Some of you maybe never give. And the challenge forward is this. I'm going to start giving. Or maybe you give sporadically, just as an afterthought. Now you're going to give, give consistently 
what you've decided to give before you even stepped in here. You're going to do it online. Last week, 40% of our congregation gave online. It's so easy to give. That's how uh, Diane and I give. We give online. It's not that we don't care about our missions and the church and what we support. No, it's just how we give because it's so easy to do that. And it's easy when our check comes and it's deposited in the bank. I mean, it's the first thing I think of. We take care of that first. Then we worry about the other things later. You know, that's how we're supposed to do it. Um, uh, or or maybe, maybe you give consistently, but never a tithe. That's, I don't want to do that. And, and you're ready to do that. Take God at his word. Test me in this, he says. See if I won't throw up in the windows of heaven. Or maybe you tithe regularly, and you're ready to give more than a tithe, and give an offering and a sacrifice. Or maybe you're, you're, you're tithing and more, you're going to do tithing and more and more, because you know you can do better. So you may have to sit down in front of a calculator. But more than that, we need to sit down at the foot of the cross. And the more we see Jesus dying for us that we may live, I tell you, it is so easy to then release more for his glory. And then money won't have power over us. We know where it's going, eternal purposes. We will have seen that it submits to the cross of Jesus because that's where our hearts are and that's where our treasure is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, these are hard things. We know too well how much that we worry about money, we think about money, calculate. But I so pray, Father, that increasingly we take your word. Whether there's anybody here, and there are those just eking out an existence. There are others among us, Father, who do quite well. And everybody in between. But whoever we are, wherever we stand, I pray that you'll be, look, be able to look at our lives and smile upon us. Because you will know that we understand what it means to be your treasure. Thank you for the cross of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.